This show is a part of the Versus the Universe Network. For more information on Versus the Universe, go to VersusTheUniverse.com. That's VSTheUniverse.com. Liz, I have a question. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you a question. I have four questions selected for our opening BS. And, oh. and I'm going to select it by putting this dice, this, this four-sided die, into the dice tower. And I've assigned a question to each one of the one, two, three, four numbers in the dice. Are you ready? Okay. Okay, I'm ready. All right. You good? I'm putting the dice in. A one. Okay. Uh, the first question. Is this just determining the order in which we actually do all four questions? No, no, no. I'm only doing one question. And I'm going right. to save the other three questions for subsequent episodes. These are big questions. Oh. These are big, heady questions. The, these are actually questions that I wanted to ask you, but they are kind of like their own thing. And I'm expecting big, huge, amazing answers out of you. So their you really got to bring it. Thing. Yeah, you got to. You really got to bring it. All right, here I am. Uh, Liz, if your name wasn't Liz, and if you had to choose a totally original name that was not shared by anybody else, what would your name be? Is there such a name that is not shared by anybody else? It can be the name of an object or an animal or a thing. It just can't be shared by a human. This is how you get people named Apple or Bear. <laughs> just because you had the fun fact of Bear being Alicia Silverstone's son. Although right. Apple was, uh, what, Chris Martin from Coldplay yeah. and Gwyneth Lich Paltrow? Yeah. Yeah. Goop. Goop. Oh, no. Don't be named Goop. I'm not going to be named Goop. All right. But if your name was not Liz, if it could be anything else... The thing is, all of the names that I can think of, they're from something. So I, well, well, I always call my car. As long as a human isn't named this. So there was a book that I really liked by Anne McCaffrey, and she co-wrote it with somebody else. And the name is escaping me, but the main character was named Sassanac. Oh yeah, and I like that. You I use have that used that name, name sometimes. That's a things. good name. Yeah. I like that name a lot. Sassanac. Yeah. Um, I also really like the Irish name Aoife, which I've used in a... Is that A-O-I-F-E? Yes, yeah. I believe so. Aoife. That's a cool name. Mm-hmm. 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 But that's one... also definitely shared by other people, most of whom are probably Irish. Yeah, it's it's really like, do you think people would just start adding letters? Like if my name was still Aaron, it'd just be like Aaron with four N's. Or do you I think just, they'd add you numbers? You act like people don't already do that. Well, like what if it was like Aaron 420? <laughs> like... It'd be like gamer tags at that point. That's your actual name, though. Aaron I thought, 420. It, it yeah, is that, that on the is birth your real name. I didn't want to tell people this way, but hey, it's a podcast. This, so yeah, might as you, well. you're the one that brought it up. Sorry. So, do you? Is this a thing where you ask this question because you have an interesting answer that you want to share? No, I have like I I if I had to pick another name, it'd be something stupid like Alistair or Hawk or some other Dragon Age persona. But no, I like my name. I, I like my name. I, I think I might have changed it to the fantasy spelling. I I spell it the uh, the more masculine way, A-R-O-N. But you saw in one of my save games, whenever I play myself in a fantasy game, I spell it A-I-R-E-N. Aaron. Like Aaron. Yeah. I forgot that I've seen that. Well, you're going to see it the rest of your life. We did just get married. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the rules of marriage is that you get to look at your partner's game saves whenever you want. Yeah. It's really embarrassing. She looked at my Final Fantasy VIII save and she was like, you spent 600 hours in this? Right. Ugh. I did. I judged. We also, I also get to know all of your um, AIM screen names. My first AIM screen name? Oh, boy. I think I've told you this before. My first AIM screen name was So Money 85 That's real. I watched a lot of swingers. Yeah. And then it was uh, Kidman2D4. Wait, Kid- like Nicole? No, Billy Kidman, the wrestler, the one, two, three okay, kid. Okay, but you know if you did that now, if I did it in now, the age of like screen hey. names being all over gamer tags people would think you meant nicole that's all the fine time. moulin rouge is a sweet movie what's your favorite nicole kidman movie oh no we're doing this now yeah. it's practical magic oh duh <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't even sense. call that a Nicole Kidman movie specifically. It's an ensemble film. Well, it's sort of more of a Sandra Bullock vehicle, really, if we're being, <laughs> if we're being honest. It's more of a way for her to delight and awe entertain audiences around the nation. Do you think actual witches got upset? I think actual witches have many reasons to get upset all the time. And I imagine Practical Magic is the least of among those do you think witches were like really upset at the world in you know circa 1997 or 98 then went to the cinema and were like oh practical magic i bet this is a very in-depth tale about my life as a witch and then when they saw nicole kidman and sandra bullock just like 
hanging out and sing. I've never seen it, so but I assume they're you've singing. never seen it. No, but they. How, I assume we they have dance. To, no, we have to reschedule recording this podcast. We're no, gonna watch it right now. No, you know that I have a secret passion for this movie. First of all, Aaron. Yeah, it is based on a very popular book. Thank you, Sassanac. Since we're using our our new names. Oh yeah, your new name is also Aaron. Aaron four twenty with five uh, ends. Yeah, Aaron four twenty. What's ironic about this? joke that you're making about practical magic is the whole point of it is real witches who are like everyone is a jerk oh really yeah do they dance it's real witches who are shunned by other people in their town you would like this is there a is there a musical sequence in the film is it like hocus pocus where they sing i'll put a spell um on there's a there's a fun dance sequence i'm in i'll watch that let's watch it right now no we have to record the podcast okay um we, we all right you know what in order to get to practical magic a bit more quickly we should probably tell the people what we're drinking and what game we're covering liz what are we drinking right now first why don't we say what game we're covering Uh, i think then it'll make the drink practical magic the trading card game do not make fun (laughs) of practical magic we've talked about this many times we are going to be covering uh a game i'm super excited to talk about i've been very excited about this one arkham horror the third edition by fantasy flight games developed by nikki valens that's pretty exciting can i now tell you the name of our drink you now now can sassinac. So this is a little tonic of my own creation. Ooh, a yeah. bubbly brew. It is uh it's got some pear ginger shrub in it, which Oop. we actually yeah. picked up in Saugatuck, Michigan on mm-hmm. our mini moon after mm-hmm. we got married. And for those of you who don't know, a shrub is basically a drinking vinegar that yeah. you can put in just soda water or you can add it as a mixer in cocktails. Brief tangent. Oh boy. When I was growing up, my very favorite movie was this completely bizarre. <laughs> I think we've talked about it before. It was the only musical that uh, oh. Dr. Theodore Sussel or whatever his Jeez. name is actually ever wrote. Y'all, this movie's a trip. It's called The 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T and it is bananas. And it's about, it's, it is a, like a set that was designed in the 50s. You want to feel I drunk think? all the time? Watch right. this movie. And it actually, they made this set look like Dr. Seuss's drawings. And it has the whole Dr. Seuss, kind of recurring Dr. Seuss themes that Roald Dahl sort of shared mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. adults are all evil and terrible and stupid and they hate children. And it's basically about this little boy who's like in a piano training prison or something you know dr seuss stuff yeah it's it's great but there's a whole and and it's a musical yeah like i mentioned and and oh it's got some music all right it's a lyrical sensation but (laughs) um there is a song in it that is all about drinking vinegar and there's a whole section that's about about vintage pickle juice and it's amazing and so i was always i was always sort of intrigued by this concept Anyway, that was a little tidbit, a little tidbit of my my brain there. Oh. But anyway, so this drink mm-hmm, has mm-hmm. Uh, this pear ginger shrub in it, and then also bourbon per usual, mm-hmm. and a ginger liqueur, and a little bit of homemade cinnamon syrup. Can we put the recipe in the show notes? Sure, I can this do is, that. This is mighty tasty. This is very nice. Yeah, if you can get your hands on a shrub, well, it's not that hard. You can even make your own shrub, but make we your can own get shrub. into that later. Yeah, put a seed in the ground. Right. But what this drink is called yeah. in honor of Arkham Horror is a Miska tonic. Oh. <laughs> Do you like oh, it? Oh, you know, you don't usually get punny, but that was really good. Thank you for admitting I don't usually get punny. I'm like, ah. Oh. Well, thank you for listening to the Cooperatives Podcast, where we're going to be covering Arkham Horror, brought to you by the 5,000 Fingers of Dr. T. We'll be putting the drink recipe in the show notes. Why don't we clink and get on with the show? Let's do it. Sassanac. Let's do it. Welcome to the Cooperatives Podcast with the real-life human couple, Liz and Aaron, where we discuss the joys and sorrows of gaming with a significant other. Today, we're going to be discussing Arkham Horror, the third edition by Fantasy Flight Games, designed by Nikki Valens. Hey, Liz. 
What yes. do you What do you know about Lovecraftian horror? So I've never actually read anything written by H.P. Lovecraft, but I've played a number of games, and I've read some works that are basically sort of derivative. Great. So you know it's all sunshine, lollipops, rainbows, right? And a lot tops. of sort of. Um, Whatever the opposite of racism is. Yeah, yeah. Lovecraft was totally racist. And if you go back and read his books, you'll be like, oh, no. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. Um, he died a long time ago. He's a ago. dead man. Um, um, but yeah, it's, it is, as you alluded, generally. It's really dark. Yeah. So there's this sort of prevailing theme of cultists that worship like dark anti-gods. Deep kind ones. Of, yeah. Who are coming to make everyone crazy they just like drive you mad from fear and anguish and then also a lot of bodily harm yeah you know it's funny because like these sea creatures cthulhu deep ones the hounds of tindalus and all these other lovecraftian horrors they don't want like to seize the means of production and like thwart democracy and be rich they just kind of want to make people mad and like drive them crazy which i like what what is their goal like what do they want out of this they just want to like make the world bad yeah i don't know i'm sure there have been many papers written on this and i'll be honest and say that i've never researched it Mm, but it seems like there's a little bit of like an sort of a nihilistic streak like yeah everything is bad and terrible and nothing you do will work which is a great premise for a board game especially in 2018 yeah yeah especially a cooperative board game yeah so arkham horror i should say is a cooperative board game that will play anywhere from one to six players uh the year is 1926 it's the height of the roaring 20s uh, I'm just reading the flavor text on the back of the box because I think it's really funny when they, when, like, things are bright and happy before they're like, by the way, aliens are here. Flappers dance till dawn in smoke-filled speakeasies. Drinking alcohol supplied by rum runners in the mob. It's a celebration to end all celebrations in the aftermath of the war to end all wars. Uh-oh. <laughs> Several hey. things were not true in that statement. <laughs> Uh Uh-oh, aliens, the ancient ones that lurk in the emptiness beyond space and time are here, and they just want to ruin your day, your perfect Sunday. Rude. You know, having like a free day in the 20s would just be uneventful. There's no internet. There's no Smash Brothers. There were Smash Brothers, but I think it was like two guys fighting in the ring. It was like boxing. Yeah. Yeah, way, way different. You'd have to like read a newspaper for enjoyment. Yep, that's all anybody did in the 20s. Now you know. So Arkham Horror 3rd Edition comes with four scenarios. They're all completely cooperative, or if you want to play solo, completely solo. But in this game, you're going to be donning the personas of uh, a bunch of characters that have been prevalent throughout Fantasy Flight's Arkham Horror game series. And in those scenarios, you'll be taking down evil, you will be vanquishing the powers of darkness, and hopefully instilling a little bit of light back to the city of Arkham. Right, but probably not. No, no, no. You're going to die a lot because it's a hard game. Yeah. Yeah. No, we played Mansions of Madness, which is another Cthulian Lovecraftian type tale. Also, yeah. Also Fantasy Flight. Also yeah. Fantasy Flight. Um, I feel like we're kind of used to losing in these games, or, or at least we're not, we're not always optimistic about our chances of winning. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's interesting to me, and we talked about this a little bit, that sort of a, an entire genre of game has been built around this concept of they're usually cooperative, mm-hmm. which is interesting, or they're very often cooperative. And I think maybe they're cooperative to sort of lessen the sting of <laughs> losing. Like, we're all going you're going to lose, but at least you'll lose together. Sure. But it's always, they have this reputation for being really long, crunchy, but not necessarily in the sense that they're really difficult to understand there are just so many rules and so many moving pieces that it you know you have to stop and look things up every time and because they're pretty long and because you lose most of the time you usually don't end up playing the games enough to not have to look up the rules every few minutes i actually when we were playing the game looking at the game board so so one of the big differences from the second edition to the third edition is that the third edition comes with a bunch of modular board tiles that the first and second edition didn't have the modular board titles separate the neighborhoods um uh into different tiles and they connect through these street tiles that are 
I think an ingenious way to make the the city of Arkham different every time with every scenario, but it really is like looking at the inner workings of a watch. There's a lot of moving pieces, and it, I feel like when I'm playing this game, I can see the cogs turning. I can see all the little chits being thrown out. I can see mm-hmm. players moving and revolving certain things. I honestly had the image of a watch in my head just looking down at the table. That makes sense, especially because, yeah, they are all um, sort of fanned up, I think, being these little octagonal sections, mm-hmm. sort of like pods that are connected by streets. Um, so it, each each section represents a neighborhood, and then each neighborhood has three p- parts of the neighborhood in it, right? So yeah, it does sort of resemble a watch. And then all of there are a lot of consistent imagery in sort of Lovecraftian things anyway. A lot of it is sort of dark and shadowy. There are a lot of tentacles. A lot of wet. A, a lot, lot of wet, damp stuff. A lot of like almost, what is the... Almost steampunk, but not quite. Yeah, There's it, a lot of there are a lot of sort of gears. It's it's the steam era. Yeah, but it's it's a lot of a lot of coal. Yeah, stacks. it's a lot of keys and stuff. But also the way that you tend to do things in all Lovecraft themed games, and also in this one is you either are sort of a basher and you can get like guns and other types of weapons. Or you're like a professorial librarian type person who but studies. Who are you? Who was your character? Or you are like me. I was a waitress, I think named Agnes. Uh, it was it was something or Victorian. Agatha. Yeah. Um. But yes, I was a waitress, and my quote on the card was like, "Everything isn't as it seems," which is funny because I was also totally a blood mage. <laughs> I think we have a clip of us talking about our characters just to give you an idea of how diverse these characters are. So let's go to that right now. I am Calvin Wright, the Haunted. Sam, who are you? I am Dexter Drake, the Magician. Jamie? I'm Tommy Muldoon, the Rookie Cop. Good. I'm Agnes Baker, the Waitress. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, does everybody have like a quote? I'll sacrifice everything to keep you safe. Mine is, things ain't always what they seem. And that's right under... My powers, which are blood casting and blood is power. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie. Uh, come on, Tommy. Time to be a hero. Oh, good. Yeah. Just going right in for it. Yep. Samwise. <laughs> you don't want to see real magic, kid. Nobody does. I want to see magic. It's an illusion. <laughs> what was that? McCavity, the ginger cat. All right. So thank you for listening to that clip of the show. But also, before we began... Liz would not let us record unless we played Macavity from Cats and she danced around to it. And then she was just doing a little Macavity dance now. So yeah. I, yeah. The Sarah Brightman version to be specific. Yeah. Who is such a fantastic singer. She's very good. And married to Andrew Lloyd Webber? Did I they think get she was. That's sad. I have no idea. That's why he wrote Phantom 2. It's all about what's going on in that Is heart. there a sequel to Phantom? Yeah. Still <laughs> Phantom 2. Still still Phantoming. Electric Boogaloo. Uh, Phantom 2 at World's End. Anyway. Yeah. This game. Phantom 2 The Crimes of Grindelwald. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway. My character was just titled The Haunted, which I thought was interesting. It was just a guy with a button down with a knife. Yeah. I feel everybody had these roles and I, th- I feel like the roles were sort of. Um, or uh, the titles basically gave you a clue about your role. So there was somebody who was a magician and somebody who's a cop. And um, the waitress was a little bit of a misnomer too. But the haunted is not, that's not like a profession or anything. It's yeah. just a, a sad state of being. Yeah, it was really unfortunate, but I was drawn to him and we did a pretty good job. Oh, you were. Yeah, the haunted. One thing that is different from third edition from other editions, at least in my memory, I played a good bit of second edition. It's just been a while. Um, Every character was either designated as a guardian or a mystic. And as the haunted, as the haunted guardian, I felt it was my duty to, you know, bash on monsters and kind of do a lot of the grunt work. Whereas you were playing a mystic, and so, duh, you were a blood mage. Yeah, so that touches on something that I think was interesting about this game. And I think we'll talk a little bit more about whether this is an improvement on other versions. I think the answer is yes. Um, but one of the things they did is I think they really tried to make it a little bit friendlier. Because like I said, it's been 
often just sort of so chewy like there's just so much going on and it feels very daunting and here they're like okay your primary focus is warding off evil so i knew that when i was trying to figure out what to do on my turn instead of just being overwhelmed i would be like okay the game told me this is what i'm good at and this is what i should focus on doing it's a little bit of a character class thing in that way it kind of nudges you into this suggestion right and that makes it so that at the beginning of the game when you're still really sort of floundering you at least kind of have a direction to go in which is very helpful and i think other games of this type have not had anything like that and so you I always associate these types of games with feeling like you're barely treading water for a lot of it. And then by the time you've gotten the hang of it, it's like too Too late late. and you're dying, (laughs) basically. It makes me really happy to hear you say that because I was playing the game and I was kind of looking at it through the lens of somebody who played the other Arkham Horror games. And I was having a great time because of that streamlining. Right. But I wasn't sure if it was too much or too little. So it really makes me feel good to know that you had at least a good time with that. Yeah, well, and another thing they did, and I can't imagine how many hours of testing led to this. And I mean, it helps that this is, you know, the third edition of a, of a fairly similar game. It's not exactly the same as the other ones, but the rules, like I said, they've always been sort of convoluted seeming and very confusing, and they made a really detailed oh, that index. index. Yeah. And each rule is divided into subparts. So like if you look in the index because you want to understand what there's a there's something in the game called Doom. And if you have a question about Doom, you look up Doom in the index and it tells you every single sub rule even where it's discussed. So you can go and find the exact thing that you're looking for very quickly, mm-hmm. which in a rule book that it feels like it's like 30 pages long. Well, there's <laughs> you know? there's like 30 pages of rules, but then yeah. there's a 45 pages of lore and the index, so it feels like it's thicker well, than yeah, it is. Well, yeah, we have this special like extra fancy lore. Yeah, we rule pre-ordered book too. it so we got some hardcover version. Um, but yeah, I think so I think they did a lot of things to try and make it a little bit friendlier and even if you've never played a Lovecraft game if you're interested and we should talk a little bit more about how how the game actually plays but if you're interested in trying one this is the one i would probably start with yeah uh, absolutely this and mansions of madness feel like yeah. they've come a long Man- way right we and i think we said this in mansions of madness too it's, it's accessible I, yeah i still feel more in love with mansions of madness than this one mansions of madness because it has and that was also a second or third edition that was a second edition the second edition because the second edition of mansions of madness has an app that basically takes care of all of the crazy rules for you and all of these games always have fun flavor text and in the app a lot of that flavor text is read out loud in spooky voices and it's cool so i highly recommend that one but if not that one and if you don't want to deal with an app um (laughs) This one is really fun and accessible. So the actual core of the gameplay revolves around a few stacks of cards. There's event decks, there's neighborhood decks, because in every scenario, you're going to be setting up uh, a new board of different neighborhoods. There will be like a downtown, a west town, a uptown. I feel like just all North sorts side. of yeah, yeah. different towns. Well, and so what's interesting is all you know at the beginning is... The title of the scenario you're doing and then you get a scenario card that has like the big bad monster on it. So we knew that Azathoth, who is common in this lore, was our sort of big bad. But that was basically all we knew. And I don't remember, I, I think this is sort of a common theme in these types of games, but I remember being a little more distressed about it in this one that at the very beginning I was like, so what are we doing? Like... All you know is here's the big bad and then you don't know anything else at the beginning. So it's a mystery. In in at the beginning of the scenario it says here are three like points of interest that you should investigate and once you investigate those they'll give you more information and that is way different than other Arkham Horror games. Yeah, and so the way that you take those types of actions, like investigating, and those points of interest were represented by like little, little magnifying glass clue tokens on the board, is and, and the way you do a lot of things in these games is their role tests, like, um, you know, a lot of tabletop role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons, where you have a test of a certain skill and you roll that many dice in order to see if you pass it. So, for example, if you want to investigate a clue... That might be lore. Right, that might be lore, which I was pretty good at. So my lore was four out of a maximum of, I 
I'm four is the highest that anyone just naturally had, I think. Naturally, yeah. Um, and so you roll four dice and then only a five or a six, these are all six-sided dice, only a five or a six is a success. Mm-hmm. So you roll, you know, I would get to roll four dice and if one of them was a five or a six, then that means I did investigate that clue. But for someone that maybe only has two, to get a five or a six is like, Dire. Pretty challenging, yeah. yeah. So, so you'll be investigating and trying to gather f- clues in what they call the action phase, and then if there are monsters, which there's not always monsters, there's mostly almost always there's always going to be cultists and like dark priests, but the monsters will come later. There will be a monster phase where they move on you and lurk around you and try to hunt on you. Then an encounter phase where you'll fight, and then and this is the big thing with Arkham Horror. The mythos phase, which is basically bad shit's about to happen. Right. And in the encounter phase, it's actually not all fighting in this one. It's mostly... Oh, you yeah, you can evade. Evading is huge. Well, the fight... And, and it's mostly not that. It's mostly if in your area, you don't have an encounter phase if you're fighting. The fighting happens during the action phase. The encounter phase in this game was just if you were in an area like a neighborhood and you weren't fighting something, you got to have a an encounter in that spot which would mean you'd pick up one of the cards from that neighborhood's deck and it would say if you're in this spot in the neighborhood this is the encounter you have and when we say encounter some of these things are very charming like well, one of my yeah, they're little vignettes basically yeah, like, like little side stories one of my encounters was you see an open suitcase that has a lot of valuables in it you try to snatch it and then you would have to roll like something to see if you snatch it and if you do it great you get like two bucks but if you fail the roll it just says you were disappointed in your abilities and you kept walking and it's like that's the encounter yeah i mean which is honestly in this kind of game kind of good because there wasn't a severe i mean some of the stuff can be like uh you're walking down the street and you see a mysterious shadow and if you roll the wrong way it'll be like the shadow terrified you and you took a horror damage because the way the damage works in this game is that you have, what is it? Uh, it's it's basically physical damage and horror. Is it called physical damage? Yeah. I think it's physical damage and horror, and they're represented by, like, little hearts and little brains, basically, which is, in it's true in all of this stuff. So, like, we were talking about earlier, the whole, like, Lovecraft Cthulhu vibe is that everyone is slowly going mad, basically. Yeah. So some people are more sane at the beginning and that helps them. And your character dies if they get to zero, I think, on either one of those Meanwhile, traits. my character, the Haunted, could use its horror like to buff other skills. So like, if I had too much horror, it was bad, but I could trade and take on more horror to buff my other abilities. Mm-hmm. So I kept making myself go mad in order to buff my roles and have more successes. Yeah, so that's an interesting dynamic and can be challenging. <laughs> yeah, definitely. To navigate. There's a lot for each player. Uh, there's a lot for each player to do with their character in terms of balancing their stats. And each character comes with a few items at the beginning of the game. That will help buff their abilities, such as uh, Jamie was playing as a cop named Muldoon. And Muldoon had a motorcycle and a shotgun named Becky. And I think Jamie died before he got to use Becky, but like he was raring to go. That's very sad. So Tommy and his grandfather's gun, Becky, had to fix things their way. Oh, my God. I'm so happy you found this character. His grandfather's gun, Becky. As someone that doesn't play a lot of tabletop games, you found the person that is perfect for you. Yes. Oh, my God, Becky. Look at her bullets. Uh-oh. <laughs> so you're in this... Ta- what is the name of the city that you're in? Arkham. You're, oh, yeah, you're in yeah. Arkham. Duh. And you're just kind of walking around exploring these clues and the way that the game kind of tells you what to do next is once you get a certain number of clue tokens, it says pull this card out of the archive and put it in the codex. And the codex is basically like your paper game guide. Yeah. And so the codex might say, okay, you've discovered, like you investigated these three clues and you've discovered that there's like a 
hole into an alternate dimension that is being you which know, is pretty the town common is being in these games through and that's going to happen right. in every arkham horror game there's going to be a hole that sucks somebody through sorry right. a town it, it, it's going to be like a, a, a wormhole yeah something bad head out of the gutter and and so then it'll sort of give you another challenge and in the meantime it'll say like there's another hole somewhere else and monsters started pouring out of it and they're all coming to eat you yeah uh so that's that's where you sort of start having to manage your resources yeah. and a lot of times it's like spinning a lot of plates right and and i don't know if this is going to happen every time we play this game but it be, it gets overwhelming very quickly it's yeah. basically like the first turn seems okay and then like at the end of the first round suddenly there's like seven monsters on the board and everything's up in the air and it's everything is shit so that mythos phase is where everything goes to shit because basically you put a bunch of tokens into an opaque bag or a bowl we use a little mug and you pull them out and there's some tokens that are just blank means everything's fine nothing happens but then you could pull out a token that causes you to place three doom markers into a neighborhood which is such an oh shit moment for you right so the way that doom works in this game is that it's represented by these little tokens Mm -hmm. and like we said, each neighborhood has three parts in it. And if you get five doom in one neighborhood or three doom in one part of one neighborhood. Wait, what's that? It's an anomaly. It's an anomaly. And that means, you guessed it, more monsters pouring out everywhere, running all over yep. your entire life, stopping you from making any progress in the game. Oh, man, you were just going through some things there, like remembering what happened in <laughs> our game. You got like a fire in your eye. Oh, another newspaper. Oh, no. Maybe it'll be Hot off the presses. We have no one to blame but ourselves. Opinion. <laughs> Our choices have placed us on this path. New civic engagement required. Advertiser deserves its share of blame. By Doyle Jeffries, Editor-in-Chief, Arkham, Massachusetts. Headline. Place too doom in your space unless you gain a dark pact condition. Oh, Jesus. If you are take in... Take the dark pact. Yeah, take I the don't dark have pact. any dark pact. No, no, no. no Take it. it. Dude, I have a yeah. dark package. Like, I would have, choosing to I, gain it. It's just dead. this. Oh, is it just like? Yeah. If you are in a street, you basically space, made a deal with the devil. Okay, so yeah, give me that. Don't look at the back of it. No doom there. <laughs> so what is the? I realize all of this sounds like it's a lot, and guess what? That is true. However, I really enjoyed the Arkham Horror franchise before this, and the thing that I think Third Edition does better than the other games is the story it's it's much more theatrical and cinematic and at least i had a really great time reading all the encounters off the cards and reading the things going into the codex and it felt much more like we were painting a portrait and and going scene by scene in like an old 30s detective movie than the other arkham games i had a really great time with it but it is really crunchy i actually have i made a list of things i'd rather be doing than cleaning up arkham horror and number one says literally anything else. Because oh, you're just talking about putting the game away. It is it is a rough game to set up, and it's a rough game to put away. So we one of the things that we got off of our wedding registry was a bunch of these awesome tiny little nesting bowls <laughs> that I wanted so I could do my mise en place when I was cooking. <laughs> uh, but we used it for monster mise en place. They worked. We put our little tentacles and mm-hmm. brains and hearts and all that in there. And and so I also want to say, I don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about like every mechanic and every token, but there's a lot of other tokens we didn't even broach the topic on. There's a lot in this game. Yeah, and... You know, yeah, it wouldn't be fun for us to just go through all of the rules. No. But I think that we've sort of given a gist of what the game sure, is sure, like. Sure. And But I, I want to know, cooperatively, did you think this game worked? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because we, the way that we played and just the way that we got spread out on the board, we didn't do that much with each other. We were almost never, we played with two of our friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, hi, Jamie and Sam. And we were almost never, or maybe never at all, in the same space with somebody else. So there are yeah. things you can do. You can hand off cards and help each other, like heal each other. But we didn't do that at all because we just never happened to be in the same space together. But we did. So, you know, like we, I was mentioning before, you had to find a certain number of clues at the beginning to move to the next step in the mm-hmm. game. That requires some cooperation because... 
you know, if somebody doesn't do that, then it takes that much longer for other people to do it. But as far as cooperative purity goes, (laughs) you know that it's not going to be 100% on that test because it's a one person to six person game, Mm -hmm. meaning you don't have to cooperate in order to win. You can play this as a solo game and I would imagine it would be very difficult. I think the advantage of playing with more than one person is being able to discuss the order of operations of what you're going to do on the board. Right. Because there is a laundry list of things for you to do in these scenarios and it really does uh, take you talking about your priorities on the table to succeed. And one thing that this game does which um, Pandemic also does but not a lot of other games do is... You can take the turns in any order during that action phase where the players are doing things and that can really make a difference. And that's where cooperation can really help Mm -hmm. is, you know, if you're trying to achieve a certain thing, you can let some people who are more likely to succeed try it earlier on so that you're not wasting turns on somebody who will be less effective trying to do to accomplish a task. So in that sense it does offer a lot of room for cooperation. It's just interesting because the game, even nothing about the setup even changes if it's only one person, right? No, but the the amount of mythos phase and right. the amount so, of shit that can happen yeah, dwindles. So the, the mythos phase is the part where you're you're taking tokens out of a cup and each person who is playing takes two out. And like you said, bad things can happen. They can come out and they can make you have doom on the board. They can make something called like a gate explosion or something a gate happen. gate burst, which right. was the, oh my God. Or they can just put another monster on the board. I mean, basically there's like six things that can happen and four of them are bad and one of them is nothing and yeah. one of them is good. <laughs> That's it. And so, uh, you know, having fewer of those things come out would be a benefit of playing with fewer people but otherwise the game is the same so it doesn't you know it's not like some games that really really count on people cooperating to make the mechanics of the game work this doesn't necessarily do that no but one of the things that is is such a weight off my shoulders when i play this game and to an extent when i play mansions of madness i didn't feel like there was any quarterbacking and i don't know if that was because the group we were playing with was very autonomous and very cooperative, but it didn't feel like the game really even gave a lot of openings for quarterback. No, that's what I was going to say. It's almost like there's so much shit hitting the fan all the time <laughs> that you can't, Just you can't pick really, up an oar and right, row. you can't really quarterback when you're like surrounded by monsters mm-hmm. and you don't, you know, the monsters and I'm just using monsters as a general term for all of the bad guys, but a lot they all move according to different rules so mm-hmm. some of them will move to whoever is the weakest and some of them will move to whoever has the most money and you know so you can't even you know try and be like okay we'll we'll let this guy take a fall for everybody else like some of that stuff just happens mechanically mm-hmm. without you getting to decide so you're right the game closes off some of that ability to quarterback. I don't even know if that's on purpose or just sort of a result of all of the bad things that are happening to the players. It might be a players. happy accident. Right. Who knows? I, I have a question for you. And, and I had been curious about this question because we've been coming at this game, I think, from two different perspectives. When Arkham Horror 3rd Edition was announced, I was honestly a little bit relieved and a little bit overjoyed just because... I had been playing second edition with some friends and it always felt like a game that was too big for me to get into. Um, What do you mean by too big? So, so I I felt like I missed out on a lot of Arkham Horror second edition because there's so many expansions. And when I get into a game, I, I want to be able to like fully invest, you know, this is just like one of the things with me. So I want to know, how do you feel about the quote unquote realm of the new in gaming and is it important to start a game like this that will inevitably have expansions when it comes out? Or would it be fine to start it years from now when there's multiple expansions out? What do you mean realm of the new? So I think that I am a victim of yes. wanting to... <laughs> thank you. End of show. I am one of those people that I get very caught up in hype. I, I am often a victim of marketing, but 
I know release dates for everything. I know when things are coming out. You're a hype monster. Yeah, I, I really am. And I know that about myself right. at we least. Have... How, how do you feel about getting board games as soon as they're released um, instead of like waiting a year or two for like a different rule book uh, or like, like a more refined rule book or having an expansion come out? I mean, how do you feel about playing this at launch? For mo- I honestly don't care for most games at all. For some legacy games... If there's a heavy story element, I might care a little bit. Like I but I thought I would care more for pandemic and it turned out it wasn't that hard for me to avoid spoilers. In addition in addition to being a hype beast, you are really bad at avoiding spoilers. Why are you online. doing this to me on our podcast? You're attacking You're me the about one that spoilers. You called your own self a hype beast. No, no, a hype beast is different than being a spoiler monger. Well, you are a spoiler monger. No, I'm not. You just have to embrace it. I'm fine. You're always like Ah, uh, somebody spoiled me on my Twitter feed, and I'm like, "Who controls your Twitter feed? Who can prevent no. Twitter feed spoilers?" People, Aaron, people retweet only, stuff, and only I can't you can stop prevent them from retweeting Twitter feed things. spoilers. No, no, it's not me. It's not me. Snake you have kills gotten Dumbledore. better at muting things online. Thank you. This isn't about us. Anyway. But what I'm trying to say is that I didn't find that it was very difficult to avoid spoilers about, for example, Pandemic Legacy Season Two, which I'm excited to finish and curious to find out what happens but other people have definitely finished and could be spoiling me but they're not i don't know if it's the gaming community is a little bit better about that than you know there are just like professional dicks online who like to spoil stuff like this i think it's also different for board games versus video games Board games, you know, I think you're going to have more varied experiences, but video games, it's usually people can post clips online. Well, yeah, I was going to say it's hard for somebody to just post like a picture of a full board (laughs) and for you to like, you'd have to like go and look and concentrate to figure out what the spoiler is for the most part. There is an Instagram account that I really love called the ends of board games. And it's basically whenever somebody finishes like... You follow uh, an Instagram hold account on, that on, is specifically hold on, designed hold on, hold to on, show you hold what on, happens. Hold on, at hold on, hold on. Spoiler monger. <laughs> but here's the thing. There'll be games like Enos and like Lords of Waterdeep. They're not always, they're not always uh, uh, story-based games. It'll be something like Betrayal at the House in the Hill. And it's just really cool to see like the board set up and see where, where people go. But there's been a there's been a few games where it will say like spoilers ahead don't look and i'm like i'm never gonna play this game and whenever i swipe to look at the photo i'm like i have no idea what's going on just by looking at the board i am completely devoid of any intellect of what's happening with this game i do what is this instagram i really appreciate that they put a spoiler image up first the ends of board games good for you ends of board games it's a really nice account yeah yeah uh yeah so the, that's a long answer to your question about whether I care about playing games like this right away. And the answer is basically not at all. Um, When's the last time you like wanted to play a board game as soon as it was released? That's I, what I was trying to think. I mean, even the you're Splendor so much expansion. better. Yeah, you're so much better than I am about like really knowing when things are coming out. No, you know what I will say? Gizmos, which we oh, have. It's on our table which I was, right now. And it's still in the shrink wrap. But I was super excited for it to come out because I played it at Gen Con. So I guess I was super excited for it to like get here. Yeah. Uh, no, there was something that I play tested at Gen Con. Oh, Orbis? The stained no. glass one. Oh, Sagrada. I play tested Sagrada at Gen Con and I loved it like th- two or three years ago. And I was like, yes, when your Kickstarter goes live, I'm going to be all over it. And I like backed it on the first day of the Kickstarter. And then I was so pumped when it showed up and I played it immediately as soon as it arrived. But that was... And that's not like a complex strategy game or anything. I just like <laughs> think it's beautiful and it's I love gorgeous. it and everyone should play it. But that's the only game I can think of that I've, that board game that I've ever been like, oh my God, yes. Just Man. because a lot of times I'm almost the opposite of you. Like a lot of hype kind of turns me off. And, and especially with board games, so many things are dependent on taste and on who you play with and the sort of environment that you're playing in. It's not like um, Horizon Zero Dawn, which I've talked about from time to time. (laughs) And that is the first video game. That was like the first time that I ever watched E3 with you years ago. It's the first video game that I ever saw like when it was still in its toddlerhood i mean it was they had gameplay i think the first time i saw a trailer but it was like 
over a year from being released and I was instantly like yes I'm gonna love that sold but yeah I just I don't do enough research and investigation before these things come out to like get so excited so I have people like you in my life and then our friend Bill is really good about this um so they tell me when something good is coming out it's like I was a DJ at the college radio station and I just like got all my music from our like college music (laughs) journal play required plays like I'm just not good at finding that stuff out myself (laughs) well I I think that's a very truthful answer now being married to you because yeah a lot of the times I'll be like hey that thing that you've expressed interest in quite some like all the time it's out like tomorrow and you're like oh neat and I'm like why are you not freaking out right now <laughs> all right so how about you how do you feel about the realm of the new I, I, f- I need to have new stuff immediately yeah that, I know that is that wasn't really a question for me it was a question well, for our audience well, that's I, not married to you I, I feel like I feel like there's there's good and bad in that like yes I, witness our eight shrink, shrink wrap box, boxes <laughs> of uh, zombicide in our game room for Zombicide's example. Zombicide's a good game. It is and I loved it and I'm very excited but I see that stuff and I'm like god I didn't even know we were getting that. Also there's like a Zombicide Kickstarter every three months. We we were very lucky to have one of our listeners give us uh, Zombicide and one of the expansions Wolfsburg which is awesome. Oh my god Zombicide Black Peg is so good. You should listen to the episode we do on it if you haven't already but there's like Zombicide in Space and all these other ones now. And I'm like, that that's too much. Cool. But anyway, that's getting, <laughs> that's, that's getting away from the point. Um, it was important for me to play Arkham Horror when it came out. Because one, I thought it would be out a little bit sooner and it would be a great Halloween game. Right. Uh, but I, I really like to like be able to talk authoritatively about some of this stuff or at least like have an opinion. So I, I always like to, you know dip my finger into as many pies as I can just to like, you know, kind of experience it. But I also recognize that if I didn't play this game for a year, that'd be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we got the game, I heard reports that the rule book was a mess and that there was a lot of tokens and cards that were misprinted in the game. So I kind of took to learning the game with a bit of dread. I didn't, did we get a later printing? I don't know. I didn't notice anything wrong with the rule book. I think our copy is perfect, knock on wood, but... Um, I will, yeah, I mean, the rule book is not perfect, perfect. because it's. Im- I think it's impossible to address every possible question. I mean, we actually kind of lost on a technicality that wasn't addressed extremely clearly in yeah. the rule book that we later were like, no, I think this is really the way you should interpret it. But I still think it's far and away better than a lot of the earlier rule books for these types of games. Well, yeah, I agree. And and just to just to kind of bring my view on this to a close, um, if you played this game at launch, great, cool. If you wait a long time to play Arkham Horror Third Edition, I don't think you're going to lose anything. I just I'm the kind of person that sees a game and then sees maybe it has three, four, or five expansions, and I get a little. I feel like the weight of the game is bearing down on me, and I don't want to play it. I want to play a game right. in its native form and then decide if I want to go up. But if well, I see I it Well, I always a lot think of, you should do that. Yeah, unless yeah. everyone says that and some expansion like fixes something that's oh, broken sure, in sure, it. Sure. But it's, I, so I you're just, almost suffering from your own overeducation about this stuff because I'm sure a lot of people don't always even realize that there are a bunch of expansions out for yeah, something. Yeah. It, well, it's and it's one of those things where like if if there's so many expansions, I just feel daunted and I'm like, Especially, maybe not for me. Yeah, and if you're in like an actual brick and mortar game store and you see a shelf that is just covered in all these boxes that look the same, that can definitely be intimidating. But yeah, I, I think it's fine to play this stuff whenever. I mean, we have some friends who are in the industry and friends who are really passionate about games and so I can definitely sometimes feel some pressure that if I don't play something at the right time I just won't it's like it's like when you don't see something in the theaters and then you just never end up seeing it like yeah see people won't play something you know um I and that's even true with some classic games like I've never played 
played Carcassonne. Oh, are we are we revealing our our shames now? It's I, I'm not really ashamed. It's just like when would I go to a game night now with all of these amazing games that we have at our fingertips and play Carcassonne. that people are really excited about. And be like, okay, but let's play Carcassonne, which some of you have played 20, 30, 40, 50 times. No, like we all want to play something newer. I feel ashamed whenever someone says it's like Catan because I've never played Catan. And I've, I know what Catan is about. I've read about it. I've seen a video, but I've never had like the physical, right? Uh, you know. I feel like we, I think you can play two players. I I honestly haven't played in years, but we have it. We like I have a copy. Catan maybe we should just play, maybe we should just play Settlers of Catan and watch Practical Magic. I wake up the next day. I have like a long bushy beard. We played Catan for five days. Yeah, that's how it works. And that's how long it's a it takes time travel a game. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Second question, and I, I think I think this is kind of an all-encompassing question uh, for for uh, Fantasy Flight, really. Does it make sense to have this game if you already own or are looking to buy another Lovecraftian dungeon crawler esque game? I think it depends on who you are and what your sort of gaming lifestyle is. So. For some people, the answer is definitely no. If you don't have enough space to have a whole bunch of stuff, I would say if you're only going to have one game like this, I still think that Mansions of Madness... I had a better feeling playing Mansions of Madness than this game. Like I just remember feeling like so excited about Mansions of Madness. I thought it was a really interesting and unique experience. And this wasn't quite like that for me. Although... You know, for other reasons, this might be a little bit more accessible. Um, there's a two-player card game that we actually have, and that's one where I was really excited about it at Gen Con one year, and then we just still haven't played it. I'm looking at it right now. I bought, like, the expansion everyone told us to buy, and I sleeved everything. We have a game, Matt, that I just recently bought. Uh, so we'll we'll play it soon because I feel bad about that. But... Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we obviously, I think we, we are on that end of the spectrum that is more likely to have a bunch of these different games. I would never, so implicit in your question is like whether anybody should or shouldn't do anything with respect to their board game library. And, you know, you know that my answer is like, do whatever the hell you want, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to shame anybody for what they do or don't have in their library. I think it's silly to be a gatekeeper about that stuff. But yeah, if you only want to have one game in this universe, then I would say Mansions of Madness. What would you say? I'm just imagining some crazy ethereal realm where you're only allowed to have one Arkham or Eldritch Cthulhu Mythos type game. Like there's some law, there's some police, like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Shadow Terry Crews is going to come like kick your door down and be like, you can only have one of these. I think in my heart of hearts... I think the right call is Mansions of Madness. Second edition. This is Second edition. Yeah, it yeah. It should be always understood that we're talking about second edition. In my heart of hearts, I think I think I had a a more fun time and I think Mansions of Madness is a bit more accessible, but that being said, I think the story elements in Arkham Horror really appeal to me and I really loved playing it. I honestly had a really great time playing it. It's probably one of my favorite things we've played on the show so far. But also, we had really good people to play with. One of my first rules of cooperative gaming is play with people who you want to play with, who are enthusiastic about playing with you. And we were lucky enough to have Sam and Jamie, who really dove right in and mm-hmm. and were game the entire time, even throughout looking up rules and all sorts of things. Yeah, and this is definitely one of those games where there's, that, there's a cartoon um, where somebody is like, this game is going to be fun once we're done talking about the rules, I promise. Like, this yeah. is definitely one of those kinds of games. It's that Onion article where they say, yeah, yeah the fourth or fifth time you it play is. it, you'll really like right. it. Right, and so I don't think it requires multiple times playing to enjoy it, but it does require that somebody doesn't... If Like, if you have a friend who is going to be like, oh, not again, every time you have to look something up in the rule book or, like, tune out really quickly or don't even just somebody that has, friend. like... Delete well, their number. Or even someone that has like ADD or something. Sure. Uh, or, you know, some some sort of related thing. That person, that's not going to be great for this kind of game necessarily if they're not good at focusing on that type of stuff. I think you definitely need uh, not a quarterback, but a champion. Somebody that 
knows the board setup, has an understanding of the rules, so they can be the person as like the source of truth when other people have questions. I was good about that in this game up until a certain point, and then I was like, I'm going to the rule book. But you definitely need somebody to kind of, um, well. You just have to be a little bit patient. Yeah, and, and you know, I say you need somebody. It'd be helpful if you had somebody like that. But just patience, I think, helps with this game. Mm-hmm. What did you learn about me in this game, Liz? It's funny. You, it's you're a very positive person, and you have sort of like a bright and sunny personality. Oh no, where are we going? You love these like crazy batshit, crazy making horror <laughs> games, and it's so funny to me how much you love it. And you're very much like, yes, Miss Muldoon the cop just got totally <laughs> stomped by these monsters, and that was awesome. And I'm like, damn, one of our players just died. That sucks. And it's just, no, but it's theatrically, so, it's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, you get really, and we've talked about this before, you get really, really into the like cinematics of a board game, such as they are. And I just think that it's fun to watch and i don't think it like i wasn't like grumpy during this but i was definitely like it would be really cool if we could win that would be great i hope we pull it <laughs> off and you're like i don't give a shit <laughs> everything is crazy what i learned about you specifically with this uh this play session you had just come back from getting a haircut and it was kind of a crazy morning and there was a lot of traveling and and we had some people maybe show up that weren't supposed to show up. And it was kind of a hectic afternoon. And I was really expecting to like, maybe we call this off or maybe we just like, you know, hold off for an hour. But you were very game to just like jump in. And I guess I shouldn't. Um, I, I guess I shouldn't think that that's unusual because this is a very fun thing, but I was pleasantly surprised with how game you were to uh, be taught something. I think I think me taking over the rules helped facilitate that for you. And uh, knowing that in the future, I'm very happy to do it for other games. And knowing that there's other very, very crunchy games that we want to play coming up, it gives me a better sense of like, like what I can do as a partner to help facilitate that for you. Yeah. As um, long as I can also look anything up in the rule book. As yeah. long as I oh, want to double please check. Please do that. Uh, and also, I do remember a very specific time where I was like, man, that's great. And I looked over at you and I said, but I hope we still win. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I don't just want us to die. I'm sorry. Yeah, because I do think there's a danger of being too fatalistic with these types of games where it is really hard to win. You shouldn't set yourself up that you're not going to have any fun unless you win because that'll suck. Yeah. But one thing that can happen, which is what happened to us, is we didn't win and we actually didn't win earlier than we thought. But because the rules are a little finicky, we like kept playing and then realized right before we thought we were going to win that we actually lost like several rounds ago. And to me, that was the most Lovecraftian thing that could have happened. We have different feelings about that. So (laughs) I, you know, that's one thing to sort of be wary of. Yeah. I honestly, I will recommend this game to anyone that is looking for a dungeon crawl scenario type game. I really, really loved it. I cannot wait to play it again. It is the type of game where you need like three or four hours and a big table. So I recognize it might not happen immediately. Yeah, you do need a big table and it needs to be like that perfect size of table that is big enough for all the pieces, but not so big that people can't see the board. I am imploring the broken token. Please make an organizer for they your make game. Make them for all of this these games. I know they're but definitely I want working it now. on one. It, it is it is the kind of game that oh my god, I'd make so many baggies for all your dumb tokens. Just like make an organizer or fantasy flight, get a better organizer out of the box because you chose one organizer three years ago. It's the same damn organizer for every game. I'm just asking for some organization. Yeah. That's yeah. all you want. I have one question that I want to ask you. Do it. Which is because you have much stronger memories of the second edition. Uh Uh-huh. Do you... Can you talk a little bit about what the differences are? And 
why, if you do, you recommend this one over the second one? So I never ran the second edition. I was always a player at the table, but I was never the one that like had mastery of the rule book. It's been a few years, but the main thing that I remember is streamlining a lot of the phases, uh, streamlining uh, uh, just a lot of what you're able to do. The new one does this. Yeah, yeah. The, the third edition really feels like they cut out a lot of the fat from a game that had nothing but fat. Um, and also the second edition just has a regular board. The third edition, having the modular setup to me is... We love a good modular setup. I love a good modular setup. But it, it looks much more attractive and it makes me think that in the future with expansions, it's going to become a lot more dynamic. Um, this is going to sound really dumb, but the game feels much more alive in the sense that for you... It your, is alive. It's it, coming to get you. <laughs> Everyone is dying. Oh. Oh, I don't want to live that. I just want to play it in the game. But like the the event deck being held up on like uh, this really cool card oh, holder. Oh, yeah. They did make like a little... You, use, you like put these little cardboard pieces together to make like a little... Uh, maybe I should steal that to put my business cards in. <laughs> it, it just feels like... Like if this were a video game, all the improvements would be in the uh, user interface. It it just feels like that. I think that's valid, and that that makes sense for a new edition too. Mm-hmm. That a lot of it is sort of UI adjustments. It it just felt much easier to play, and I came into this game feeling a, a good sense of dread about setting it up. Mm-hmm. And I allotted myself two hours to set it up. It only took me a half hour. Oh, and yeah. That seems crazy. It doesn't yeah. seem... Li- I mean, having seen it now, it doesn't seem like it would take that long to set up. It would take a little while to sort of become familiar with the rule book at first. There's but- just a lot of like separating these decks and make right. sure you only have these cards in it. And in in second edition, it felt like... And it could have been my my friend who like just had everything lying in a box... But it felt like we were constantly rifling through for a card. Yeah. Or... Well, and that, yeah, that can make a big difference with games like this that have a lot of different tokens. Like Betrayal at House on the Hill is like yeah. this a lot. If you don't have the tokens pre organized, that can add a lot of time. Um, the one other thing that I wanted to mention, because I think that's important for this game, is we mentioned there are four scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, we have only played one. Yeah. And it is. Suppo- like the beginner one it's basically or there's the, no the beginner like, intro but it's it's the first right one. um and we didn't win like we no. said but i feel like it's replayable yeah. right like like what i was getting at is four doesn't sound like a lot and i imagine at some point you'll be able to buy more but i, I don't think what you're buying is four playthroughs yeah I, right? I would agree with that um even after we finished our scenario I was already thinking, I don't want to play a Guardian next time. I'd like to play a Mystic or I'd like to play somebody that's wildly different than who I was because my role would inevitably change. And of course, because of the nature of the game, everything would change. But uh, it's a little roguelike in that sense. If you're familiar with uh, roguelike video games, it's always going to be a little bit different. You die, you come back, you're going to know more and hopefully attack even harder than the first time. I hesitate to say that this is like... It's definitely not a beginner's game, but if you're looking to play a Lovecraftian uh, game, this is much more inviting than the ones in the past. It's still going to take some effort on your part to learn the rules, to set up and uh, run it, but it's much more inviting than the other Arkham Horror games. Yeah, and we didn't even really get into this, but but I did want to mention that I'm not like the hugest fan of Lovecraft, and I think these games are very interesting, and the mechanics are very interesting, and... I'm just going to put it out into the universe that I would like somebody to make games like this that have different themes. Yeah. It doesn't even, it doesn't have to be a game where there's a policeman out there in a car. They didn't like that. I suggested that. (laughs) Um, It doesn't have to be a game where everybody dies or where it's really hard to win, but there are just some aspects to the way that these games play that feel a little unique to me. And I don't find them in a lot of other games, but I don't just want to play these like horror. They're not, it's not even just horror. It's like this very specific cult horror every time that I want to play a game that is challenging in this way. I, I echo you a thousand percent on that because one of the things that I love most, I'm going to hark back to Life is Strange, 
Life is Strange is this video game that very much is like slice of life, day in the life of this college student who also has superpowers. But high it's, school. Uh, is it high school? Yes, yeah. it is high school. Even um, badder asser. Yeah, and, and I love stories about people and just like their day to day. It wouldn't be too hard to, to take something like a high school and make that the setting of this. And instead of it being Cthulian ancient monsters, it could just be another school is it has to be incorporated into yours and you have to figure out your social circle or something like that. Yeah, I don't know if I'm as much into slice of life stuff as you are, but even like Redwall, I brought Redwall. Man, Redwall for the second time today. I know, like give me or like some kind of other fantasy thing or even, you know, like board games, especially games like this that have like an archive and a codex. I mean, you can tell a new story with this kind of thing. There are people yelling mice and mystics at us right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we need to play that. It's on our list, and it might even be in our game room somewhere. Who knows? But uh, somebody please make a Martin the Warrior game. Somebody That just... might be what mice and mystics is. It could be. What is my... Google, what is mice and mystics? Okay, now it's time for the credits department. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Take it away. And hey, if you are listening to this show before Thanksgiving, really hope you have a safe trip getting wherever you're going to go, even if it's just on the bus down the street to a friend's place, or if you're going to be driving across state lines to be with family. Uh, Hey, have a safe trip, and we really appreciate you listening to us. Yeah, absolutely. Enjoy your turkey and or... Baked goods? Accompaniments. Uh, Go see a movie. Go see Mission Impossible Fallout. It's the okay. it's a great Thanksgiving movie. Bye. Bye. Wait, not bye. Wait. All right. Credits department. Now the credits department. This podcast is produced every other week for your enjoyment. Come back often and feel free to add the Cooperatives podcast to your favorite podcatcher. Reviews are very welcome and they help the show succeed. Please leave us a review. Give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Twitter at Cooperatives Pod and on Facebook at facebook.com slash cooperatives pod. If there's a particular game you think we should play, for example, Mice and Mystics, uh, please don't hesitate to send us an email at cooperativespod at gmail.com or leave us a message on social media. We'll put all of the links in the show notes. We will add a Miska tonic recipe in there for you. Um, Yeah, so I think that's where we wrap it up. Cool. Well, Liz, you got anything else you want to say to our listeners before we go? I've said plenty. Okay. Well, then in that case, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye, listeners. Let's clink. <laughs>